tradition that we have going is it the quid bro quo it is the quid bro quo okay it's it's playing the Yay. theme music is playing welcome to the why aren't you famous podcast with me ellen cherry and my illustrious co-host and andrew Grimm. andrew Grimm. am i illustrious illustrious what does that mean even i don't know it sounds pretty it does it's got that luster in <laughs> it's it it's better than being obsequious hmm yes it is Anyway, thank you for the quid bro quo. Yeah, yeah, I've been working hard on my puns. We're here today with Lisa Hawks, who is the founder and owner of the Baltimore Chop Shop on Harford Road. <laughs> I like how you yeah, said whenever you, whenever, whenever you need those parts for that car, you the just chop swing shop. it on by. Wait, yeah. do you call it the Baltimore Chop Shop? I've always called it Baltimore Chop Shop, is it not? So I love that. Um, it, it is just the Chop Shop. The Chop how, Shop, I'm sorry. There yeah. is a Philadelphia chain of chop shop barbershops so we do we will get phone calls for parts for cars um i think we've had a few phone calls for um male centered medical facilities interesting yeah we had a couple of those and i could have been a prank phone call but i like to think it was real for like a vasectomy or something i i think so and you said you said come on in i you know i beg for that honestly (laughs) that is it's kind of a shining moment yes the chop shop so it is in baltimore um but i love the baltimore chop shop I've always thought that that was the official title. I apologize for getting it well, wrong. Well, there's the Baltimore it gives me That gives me, like, I, I mean, I, I have goosebumps a little bit. My hair is standing up. I love it. I, um, My parents, I don't even know how they came in possession. and They must have picked it up from me because I know that I didn't accidentally have one in my car. But one time they were visiting, I have one of your bumper stickers, and they took it to Texas. <gasps> Bangs before Botox. Oh. And you know who was in love with that? My dad. Your my dad. dad is the one who thought that was just the most hilarious thing that he had ever heard he like, hey. you saved him from going down a really dark path yes my of dad Botox? Yeah, my dad was, was oh, he was thinking about it oh god bless him um yeah no i wish i could claim that i can't um my friend shannon dunn was writing an article and i'd probably been open a year or two yeah how and long have you been open so this summer june 1st it'll be 12 years 12 years know, congratulations thank you very much um, definitely like a super duper group effort. So we've experienced, you know, I was 40 um, the summer that I opened up the shop and I had, um, you know, a, two small children, a teenager and a, a, a marriage ending pretty badly. And so you were just like, I'm going to throw in starting a small business right into all of that mix. Why not? I mean, has things presented themselves? Um, I was cutting hair in my house, you know, and um, I'd probably been working a good solid decade as a full-time hairdresser at that point and bumped around until it was just like, put a sink in your dining room and see people on Sundays. And I built a business that is, you know, help me open up that shop so I was cutting my neighbor's hair she was over and she's kind of a full-timer Hamilton multi-generational person and she said you know there's this basement beauty parlor on Harford Road where I was a shampoo girl it's Miss Anne and I think she wants to rent out her little basement and that was the same time I gotten this phone call from one of um, my husband's friends letting me know that 
my my poor husband was caught in a terrible lie and and then, oh, no. and then um it was clear that it was like you know okay we you know things have to shift and inside of that 10 minutes dawn miss dawn told me about the basement so i went down there the next morning and looked at it and signed a lease for $500 and spent all of May and June in that basement painting and scraping and cleaning it up. And it was as if Miss Anne, who was 80 years old, had put down her comb in like 1964. There were roller sets everywhere. It was like an old school beauty parlor and it was perfect. That is so cool. We, I just um, opened up. That's the up. basement where Blue Spark is now. Or was it a different basement? Different basement, four doors north um, next to the Red Canoe. Oh, cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, And then when did you move to the, the current location? A year later. Okay. With Bill. So Bill came with into the shop about six months after I opened. And I really just sat there. And I, I didn't have a book. I didn't have a staff. I didn't have anything. I just kind of, July 1st was like... I think I this is before Facebook or anything and I think I just put something on the neighborhood newsletter and let you know my clients that I already had know and then you know during the course of six months the neighborhood completely supported me through um, I guess it was Nogli or whatever but I think what was happening I was doing a lot of men's haircuts and I think wives were sending their husbands down like go check that place out I think it might like see if she's any good and so see if it's okay and not weird and I had in that space you know made this basement area where I would like go pick up my kids bring them back put them in the basement and I would just work until people stopped coming in and so and then go wait tables at Clementine's Kristen had just opened up her restaurant at right so it was a wild year Bill came on six months after I opened and then Six months after that, we had an esthetician that was working in the basement. We had drapes up, and Sarah was waxing and doing facials, and it was it was sweet. And um, we moved to um, 4321, and there was a movie theater on the second floor. Do you remember that? Yes. So that's that's one of the f- most fascinating things about being in your building. Is It was like a... Was it a movie theater? So the space was like a 20 30 seat. years ago, 25 yeah. years ago. Um, I thought it was a, a puppet theater, but you're right. It was a movie theater. It was Video American. So oh, I didn't know that. They had okay. opened up. And so here's like my three degrees with that place. So <laughs> I grew up in the house directly behind it on Cold Spring Lane. And then um, Hannah, my eldest daughter's father, lived on Overland. And when I would come down after dropping Hannah off or picking her up, there was Video Americon. Right. Right there. So they had put in a 25-seat movie theater with vintage seats and old-school projector and, you know, four or five speakers around the room. And it was there when we moved in. And we used that quite a bit. Yeah. We did. It was lovely. And the building has seen a lot of change. So inside that space, I'd say, you know three, four, five people left after kind of incubating there. I was going to say, that's the word that I always think about, the the second floor of the chop shop as a small business incubator in the Harford Road corridor. That's right. Because Annie Howe was there. Yeah. Rebecca Donnelly. Right. Um, Kim Eggert. Nikki. Nikki. um, 
all women yeah all women owned businesses Mm -hmm. that you helped foster by renting the top studio space to them yeah and keeping the um a dory um kim went on to open up a dory which is still there and uh, you know i i think if anything we just held that space open right right we didn't have anything to do with anyone's like painting walls we were not their landlord we don't own that building so um, I think it's just one of those things that when space is open, tendrils just kind of naturally find the right people. Right. And so um, the latest one was Christine with Domesticity. Right. And opened up, um, worked, talk about working hard, but she, you know, took that side, that corner building over and spent um, a year with her husband renovating it historically and ADA, which is like hard has balls in Baltimore. Right, to, and, get a, um, to be compliant. Oh my God, yes. And the thing is that for people who aren't from Baltimore who are listening to this, this is a section of the city that was formerly part of the suburbs until the 50s. Then Lauraville and Hamilton was incorporated into Baltimore City and is now part of the city revenue. But the section is a northeast corridor, and it's one of those main streets that's fairly long because it goes... Six miles. Six miles. And it goes through like yeah. six different distinct... I don't know how many neighborhoods, but there you've got Lauraville, right. Hamilton. That's right. And you're in a section of Hamilton or Lauraville that is near a grocery store, which you know people would drive to. But there's a real draw for your whole corridor because there's a bookstore, mm-hmm. good restaurants, um, two places to get your hair cut. Actually, more than that, there's a couple of salons on that strip. Four on our block. And a DIY, um, what was the name of the DIY? Best DIY, Best which DIY. became studios. Right. And, it, and so that movie was there. Just this mm-hmm. perfect example of like how I felt that the community was supporting a thriving, main, an actual Main Street. Not the Main Street that is constructed mm-hmm. by a corporation, but a Main Street mm-hmm. that's driven by community desire. Mm-hmm. That's right. And community support. And then up the street you have restaurants a black box theater um there was a dollar store which is i know is gone now but just like the and that was its own distinct flavor and that's one of the i used to live there and i really loved like the the distinction between these areas but coming to what i consider like the bottom the southern part of harford road it's close to a lake a walking park it's this Farmer's market. Yeah, farmer's market. <clears throat> like a That's real right. sense of community development and a lot of family involvement um, with and inside the city, inside mm-hmm. Baltimore City. A super, um, you know, I mean, a super heavy home ownership right. situation there for people that don't, um, you know, aren't going to buy a $300,000 house. Don't have DC money? So, yeah. Who are working right, right, in Baltimore. Right. Plenty of artists who may not earn a lot of money can afford right. to live in a So house this is there. where the artists live, but it's, you know, they're they're either in their house working um, their craft. Um, the and, and the thing is, like, with the main streets, it's tricky because it's like a trademark logo-y type scene. Right. Because it can be that people say, this is the main streets, but... The main streets is just a development of the neighborhood as it gets developed, right? So when a neighborhood is just kind of like waiting for the main streets to develop them, right? then it becomes something else, right? It, and when the thing that I love about that area is that it's it's so full of like blood and sweat. Right. It's just so full of heart. And um and it doesn't always work out, and um, it, it's not always meant to be. 
And I think that the heart part of it is that the people that have tried to have businesses that didn't work out are still residents of that community. Interesting. So you they know, loved it so much that they wanted to stay even if they're right. You're not anonymous. Yeah. You're still like to me, I live in a place where I have my business. Right. Do you know it's not the other way around? So if people are, I mean, if we're willing to say we want to have evolution inside of our community where we live, we have to be able to evolve. Right. And that means like paying attention to families and micro communities, not just, you know, a six mile space that holds seven neighborhoods. Right. You know, which is seven different um neighborhood meetup groups that you have you know it's like yeah you know if we're all just kind of focusing on each other and the family and whatever that means for people it's beautiful but well there and there's also that feeling of success when something actually works to support the community that you're in because I feel like it's really um overwhelming to think yes we're in this globalist culture now we're connected worldwide and the 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 stuff that's happening is in control of so many super wealthy people that are moving right. in in realms that feel overwhelming to try to affect. That's right. And so to feel powerful and successful, I had a friend tell me one time, he was just like, it's overwhelming to wish for world peace. But if you can wish for peace for the kid on your street, if you can work for peace for the mm-hmm. kid on your street, that's really going to make mm-hmm. a, a localized difference that you're going to be able to see. Mm-hmm. And it always struck me whenever I would visit your shop that... I, and I watched this become stronger and stronger over the years that your um, your presence in the community, your political presence in the community was fascinating to me because you were doing fundraisers for local businesses supporting. You have a, a, a wall where people could advertise shows, could advertise their own businesses, even competitive businesses. And it's like, that's actually a non-zero sum game that Lisa and the Chop Shop are playing because you're actually looking around like we, there's other things happening in this neighborhood that we can support and not feel competitive with. Mm. Um, And it was, but it was still very much focused on Lauraville. I always feel like Mm. you're a Lauraville based, like you're Mm. a community based building or business. And I love that. Thank you, dear. It's and really I remember also walking in one time. <laughs> this is such a fond memory for me. I was there listening to the chatter, sitting, waiting for my appointment. Um, and Bill from downstairs um, came up. And Bill, it was Bill is the barber that owns a restaurant. Right. And we are a brother-sister relationship a bit. Right. Yeah. But when he came up, it was funny <laughs> because he was there for a few minutes. He said the things he was going to say. And I think Bill would not be ashamed. Like I would, I would say this to him if you were sitting here. And then he left. And either you or Christina said something like, "He always brings that energy up here." I'm like, "This is our space." <laughs> I usually, when Bill leaves, I'm like, "Thanks for coming out to talk to us." <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, hon. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. Um, thank you. That, that, was, that was really kind of you to acknowledge it. So I think that the start of that is like, how do you keep dollars local? Right. Period. That's how you that's how you keep communities thriving. And it doesn't mean let's bring in more dollars. It means make the dollars that are there uh, acknowledgeable and accountable. Right. And that if you are in a place where people are struggling to pay bills, then how do you make it affordable for them to have space with you? Right. If you are owning a business that requires their dollars. And so it's overhead low always. Right. Uh, I don't think people require 
more than we've been built to believe in my industry that you need to walk into a product shelf with hundreds of products right. and we are somehow the key masters of all things and um and the industry is is pretty dumbed down to begin with in a lot of ways you know we're working with substandard tools really? first of all you know i Honestly, that there is an accord on any one of my tools at this point is nuts. I'm sorry. You can tend... I mean, a man went to the moon. <laughs> Honestly. like so, Why can we not make a curling iron with a cord that lasts? Right. How... Where... It, why is there no evolution in this? And so the evolution comes inside of the humanity that really exists there. Right. So that, to me, is... Um, I can keep my overhead low. There isn't a call for um, it to be about me selling products or um, crushing competition or being the best. I think my line of work can house so much ego and uh, because it's performative, because it is an end game acknowledgement of were you happy and if you weren't happy, you know, things start falling apart inside right. the relationship, you know, so. Um, yeah, because that person is actually wearing your work. They're, and it's personal. It's yeah. a it's a highly personal experience. So I have a question about that, but go ahead. I'm well, for to... some women, um, it's the first time someone has laid hands on them and sometimes weeks. Yeah. And um, for other women, it is an invitation to um, kind of break down. I think it's hard to look at yourself in the mirror. I think it's hard to be asked what it is you want and to respond with clarity when you know you have 23 minutes. And so to keep the space moving along in the intent of it is literally my prayer every day when I walk in there. It's not lost on me. For people to make a commitment to create time to come in then there is a dollar exchange. And when the exchange is off, if it's through emotion, if it's through the task at hand, the craft, whatever, then it's off. Right. And everybody feels bad. And so I think it's like always learning to be better at my craft. And now we have, you know, YouTube and there are hairdressers love taking videos of themselves. So it's out there. There's no more key masters anymore. Everything is out there. It's on. So, you know, in my business, people go to hair shows and it is a bevy of just salespeople selling stuff. And it is awful and seedy. And they'll say, well, you can come to watch this person cut hair who's really famous. And it's like, Unless he is standing behind me, directing my hands and telling me what I'm doing wrong or right, it's not a fair trade at all. Right. It's him on stage, and it's usually a man feeling really good about himself. And so, anyway. And how does that translate into, like, okay, so this brings me to my question for you, that when you are, so somebody comes into your shop, to me, hairdressing, I've said this to you multiple times, like, I walk in feeling one way. And this may sound very cliche, but I walk out feeling completely different. I usually walk in and it's it's not that I haven't been caring for my hair or my appearance or myself. It's just that there's something very refreshing about somebody touching you, forcing, not forcing, but allowing me to look at myself in the mirror and then to make a, a very quick change mm. in an external part of my appearance that immediately affects 
the way that I feel about myself and walking out it's I feel the same way about the dentist whenever I have my teeth cleaned I'm like yes, yes. yes. like I'm like a new person and I feel comp that uh, that sense of confidence um but what you touched on um about especially women looking at themselves in the mirror um I've started embarking on a new part of artistic discovery for me which is movement and dance and I figured out like I I can't really study what I'm doing unless I videotape myself. Sure. And that is like something that I'm not super comfortable with. That, like videotaping myself for 20 minutes, <sighs> doing something that I'm not experienced at or have no training. Yes. And also have, I was a shorter person. I became very tall when I was in high school and sort of awkward with my body and wanting to become more comfortable. Mm-hmm. But doing that over and over with different mm-hmm. people that come into your shop and just really having to create almost instantaneously because you have such a limited amount of time. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to look in this mirror and we're going to look in it together and we're going to mm-hmm. see what we see. Mm-hmm. We're not going to, like, pretend that mm-hmm. this thing that we're seeing is not happening. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, Like, right. accepting reality is the first step of, like, the That's good right. haircut. That's right. And there's a practicality to it. I mean, it's, it's there's a practicality to the fact that you know, you're almost six feet tall. And when you move, people will see it. Right. You know, there's no hiding you. So I think when we are exposed um, in all of the ways, and then there's no denying it, that it's just right there. Right. There's a practicality to that that can be really comforting. Like, this is what it is. It is, this is the way your arms just moved in that video shot, and and you lived, and it was okay. Right. And, and then we find beauty in it, or we judge it, or we do whatever we do. But... Sometimes, you know, there's experiences where you turn somebody around and they just won't even look. It's a trip. I mean... What happens in that moment? Like when... I've watched like, it. Like in the beginning of your experience together, they mm-hmm. will not look themselves in the eye or the face yeah. at the beginning. And it's a much... I mean, it's another... It's a bigger can of worms than shame and guilt, right? Because right. we can go right there and just say, oh, they have shame and guilt. It is... Um, something that I'll never get to with them and the best I can do is just be really intentional about my touch with them right and my space with them and um you know there's some things you take on when you're sharing close space with people but you don't absorb because then it becomes something else right it becomes ego driven and um when there's grief um that's the one you know, there'll be people in there that are just experiencing death yeah. from someone they love um, that are in the process of death themselves. Um, there are stories that when I hear them, and this happened about <clears throat> within the last 10 years where I felt like there needs to be a recording of this. There need to be recording some of these experiences I'm having um, and learning to have in a lovingly parallel way. Right. Um, that I'm not in their business. I'm not, if the coaching, if they want it, has an objector, I'll do it. But it is mostly just compassionate listening. Right. And um, there were um, a few times that, you know, when you're shaving a woman's head, has she's just starting treatment Mm -hmm. you know that she knows and she's post-surgery or pre-surgery and she's about to be pumped full of um poison yeah toxic chemicals for two years um and 
may have breasts, may not, um, may get well, may not. And so you spend this time with this person and you can smell the, you can smell it. You can smell the radiation in their skin. Mm. Um, so we hold space, um, the, the best way we can when there's an invitation to hold it. Right. Uh, because it is invitation only when you're in someone else's space of feeling. Right. And um, I know that I'm not going to make everyone feel better, right? Right. So um, some people don't want to feel better. They're committed to their narrative. And it's not ever going to change. And so I prepare myself for those women um, that come in really committed to that victimhood um whatever it is the day is always terrible everything's terrible yeah. everything's terrible everything's awful everything's an indication of How people doing them wrong be offensive to you though like not offensive <laughs> but like um that's a hard thing to not take personally because you have to like you you may not be able to suss out that situation until you're halfway through it that you're like oh this isn't about me this is about this person is having a really rough day yeah, by or the 12th is- year you're just like every three <laughs> weeks you just know it's coming and I prepare so it's walls and bridges right so it's um some people are ready to tell their story right yeah. some people are really ready to explore their identity and who they are and um what isn't and is working, and it leads to bigger conversations right. and spaces of vulnerability that um, don't exist anywhere else, honestly. I, I just, it is the magic of this craft. And um, my friends who are hairdressers and own salons um, ex- have the same experiences. And then there is a collective, um, in my peer group, I believe a collective awakening that's happening where people are turned on to each other and their experiences and there is validation and there is community and there is um, a psychic gathering of like-minded folks. Do you think this is happening? And this is a question for both of you guys, because you have you ever had your hair cut by a man, Andrew? Uh, yeah, I mean... But you when, go to a woman hairdresser. When I was, when I was younger. Right, but, but now like, as an adult? Ever since I started going to the hair cuttery. Yeah. When I was in high school. So you've only ever had female hairdressers. Yeah, for the most part. Then. And I mean, you know, it's it's low maintenance haircut. But my I guess my question is that like because not, what, not that they couldn't handle, you know. Those my, those my tresses. <laughs> I mean, someone should really so. know if you've not seen Andrew yeah. Graham's hair. It is golden blonde and about 3 inches past his shoulder with a natural wave. Right. It's kind of amazing. It is kind of amazing. Yeah, it's kind of amazing and super beautiful. So there is a gender thing. There is a race divide with hair mm-hmm. and there is a gender divide with hair. Right. And the, I just wonder if it happens in barbershops that this type of like, I, the, I, I mean, I, might, I don't have any experience with it, but I've been in, in your shop enough to, to feel that that holding space instantly happens for me. Mm. And I see you at social events but also like you know every six months when i come and it's like we're back on to the conversation mm-hmm. and you have an amazing uncanny memory for the things that i said the last time freakishly so that i'm just like wait how did you remember that we didn't talk about that for six months how could, i know that you're you've seen a hundred people since me more mm-hmm. and you remember that there's that feeling of like um specialness 
I think that you probably naturally do with everybody in your life, but as a, Mm. in this specific craft, it's very effective because you are already able to build that bridge with most people, especially your regular clientele where they feel like they're being held and could be like, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give you the stupid surface bullshit. Here's what's really happening. (laughs) My parents are sick or this is happening or whatever. It's like you cut to the chase. And I don't know if it's like a female thing. I don't want to say female thing, but just like, I don't know. It seems well, to exist there. And I, did, I just I wondered if you, as I, a male client of women's yeah, spaces... I mean, I, I would argue, like, with me in fashion or with me in my hair or whatever, part of it's conditioning over the years to understand that I don't understand fashion or I don't understand hair or I don't understand whatever. I mean, I, I haven't really paid close attention to it as much. And one of the things... A, I went to the... I always like the, the pun names, the hair after and the hair port that are in Westminster where oh, yeah. I live, yeah. Um, and, but it was out of convenience. I lived across the street from the hair after. And That's amazing. So, the hair after. So I went over there. Miss, and, there's a Miss Linda in the hair after. <laughs> Is there? I, I, there may be. It's got to be a Miss Linda. There. I, uh, there was a Marilyn. Marilyn, I think she was the owner. I think she still is the owner. But like I went over there because my, my parents were coming into town and, and like I needed to get a haircut or something. So I was like, uh, you know. And they and and they cut my and, and she cut my hair and the, and the whole thing was like, there's a sense of, I guess from a male perspective, like validation, for that. I was going in there. I mean, it was like you know I was getting my hair did, but I'm going in also because there's um, somebody is is actually paying attention to 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 how I look and and it's it's a. It's, there's no expectation of you know some sort of friendship or relationship or something like that. It's mm-hmm. like there's a there's a truth to what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like you know, once you start cutting the hair, you can't uncut it. Right. And you, it's a highly intentional yeah. situation. <laughs> yes, and it so is. There's, there's there's trust, but there's also like I'm feeling like I have to mm-hmm. consider my hair. I have to consider mm-hmm. where I am. I have to consider these people, and then I'm having conversations with folks. Mm-hmm. And and I don't want to go full maternal feelings. Mm-hmm. But there is, for me, there was always a, a sense of like comfort or safety. Sure. Or, or, or I mean, the feminine caretaking vibe is, you know, if you're going in a place where it's you're a minority in gender mm-hmm. presenting, then you are, I mean, you're coming out on the winning end, basically, <laughs> you know, for sure. I think um, we had to start looking at our role in what we do in terms of gender serving yeah and that's interesting because like i want to talk have you talk a little bit about you started a podcast and you're calling it the chair the chair and um one of your would you mind talking about the episode that we talked about Mm -hmm. maybe two months ago yeah yeah so um i was cutting i i i had a first haircut with a woman um who was uh, in the educational field in a private school in Baltimore and had three children, um, has three children. And um, I'd probably cut her hair twice. And then there was mention of bringing um, her child to me for a haircut. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we do like kids. And we are that place. We are that place when your kid wants weird hair, you just take them yeah. to our place. And, you know, we're, it's just fine. So I said, oh, yeah, yeah, bring, kid, bring your kid in. It'll be great. So um, 
it is the middle child of her three. And the child came in um, probably 12 at that time, 11, 12. Miserable. Miserable. And this is, um, you get weepy haircuts with teens sometimes. But this felt like the mother was pushing for um, a feminine haircut and the kid at that point seemed to me was not presenting female. Right. So that's one of those things that you just can't do anything about. So the child um, began to cry. and um, Because they were about to get a, a feminine version of a haircut. Didn't have the voice. Yeah. Had no voice. And the mom was in this, you know, in the way that I work is that there's a chair and then there's two chairs behind my chair. So... Um, the child was facing the mirror and the mom was behind me and just beside herself trying to like get this through this, not knowing really what was happening. Mm. And for me, um, has, I, I probably would have presented boy at that age. I mean, I looked male until I had children pretty much. And, um, it seemed to me that's, that was a struggle. And so I just leaned in and hugged the kid and um, said quietly, like, what do you want? And that they're just a sobbing and could not being able to look up and just saying, I don't know. <sighs> and um, I just did some minor alterations of what was there and sent them, you know, kind of on their way. And so um, a couple months later, um, Mom came in and said, you know, I just want you to know that um, that child has transitioned um, to Jason and um, everything made sense afterwards. And that's, you know, that was kind of like for her, the relief on her face of just being able to share with me that's what was happening everything makes sense and I'm going to work my ass off to figure out how to support my kid. Right. And that's what she did. And she was not fucking around. And so (laughs) inside their school community, there was a coming out for Jason that was loving and kind. Um, There was a reintroduction for Jason inside of his school. Um, And Jason came to me for his first male presenting haircut. Um, his coming out cut. So um, I had just started. So I have these behind the chair moments. And usually it's Christina, my um, my coworker, friend, manager, facilitator, enabler thing person <laughs> that I can't live without. Um, I Who just will amazing. bark things out at her. Has my has things come into my head. You know, I'm like, oh, we need uh, Christina and she'll get the pen and she'll write it down. She's amazing. She'll get on it. But <laughs> if it was not for Christina listening to me barking things out, we wouldn't have the like donations at checkout or the right. virtual bulletin board that, you know, we, you know, because they just so that the podcast came into me because it was time for me to connect stories to an audience. Right. And I <clears throat> I did minor amounts of research. Listen, I listen to a lot of podcasts. <clears throat> and um, the, the way that it's set up and structured, you know, still feels like something to play around with. Um, I've recorded two episodes in the shop. 
So I invited, um, I was doing a transitions episode and every episode is thematic. So um, inside this transitions episode, I wanted to have two recordings of people in transition or had transitioned or is transitioning and not in gender, but in all these areas of their life. Um, And so uh, Fran was really excited to talk to Jason about it. And Jason was really excited to tell his story. And they came in one Sunday and we recorded and Jason was just thrilled to tell his story. And it's beautiful. And um, Jason um, is in middle school and having his own journey and his um, hormonal process, uh, which is never like middle school is hell. Mm. <laughs> so right. and, um, what he has is support inside of a family unit. Um, that has the support of a school community. See, this is what we're yeah. talking about earlier. This is like you support the family that supports the community, that supports the city, that supports the state, that supports the country, that supports the planet. And But we have to start with the family. So having that relationship being explained inside of their love for each other and um, support for each other and the mom's willingness to kind of keep going deeper was an invitation for us has a place where we were working with people's identity right to dig a little deeper Mm -hmm. and and we did and so that's um that's you know that's we've had a lot of experiences now of people being able to bring in their teenagers that are going into gender identity change right. or becoming fluid. And so we ask for pronouns. We ask for um, um, gender description. Um, and we've changed our menu pricing to include non-gender. I saw that recently. Yeah. Yeah. You non-gender. Posted on Facebook. So, and what was happening, Andrew, is that men were always going to pay less for a haircut for the same amount of work um, because that was just a given in our industry that women was higher, men was lower. Mm. And I'm here to tell you that the most high maintenance clients I've ever had are men. <laughs> are well, men. I'm just going to have to make an appointment and, and, and just throw a little it's... monkey wrench into your theory there. Oh, because... I welcome it. Um, come on up. I'd love to get you shook up there. I think it is just time to have this industry come out of that antiquated no, absolutely. thing. So the race is the ethnicity of how hair changes. So we're... Um, one of five salons and there's a woman On Jessica Harvard next Red. to yeah. us who has she slays and then Sharon has ladies touch and where the divide is just simply hair texture right like, and and a cultural difference that needs to be acknowledged um, without division like, yeah. do you guys possible. discuss it do you guys discuss it in in the block like, have you guys ever had conversations? So based Sharon on that? Uh, was next door to me when I opened at Ladies Touch, and Sharon's been there um, twenty five years. Oh, cool! And she was a bevy of information for me. So um, Jessica next door will come and borrow tools. Um, we follow each other's Instagrams. <laughs> um, there is support that doesn't overlap into. Because I feel like the only people that talk about diversity are white people. Right. <laughs> it's like okay for people to have space where there doesn't have to be whiteness. Right. It's totally okay. And it's okay 
um, for us not to overcompensate that inside of our own shit. I had a perfect example on, I took a workshop on Saturday and there was a woman who described um, when we were going around the room talking about our name and our artistic discipline and the challenge that we're experiencing right now that we wanted to work on. And she was talking about the work that she was doing as directed towards um, black women. And she said, I'm very specific about this, this work that I'm doing is going to feature black women. And she, we were just having a conversation outside of like during lunch about it. And she said, you know, people, there's, especially women who are, are white don't want to hear that. They don't want, there's like, there's some kind of like exclusion thing. And I said, anybody who's offended by the fact that you're carving out that space is not right. your ally and should just be completely disregarded. Because like, if I'm offended by that, then that is a tr- a, a signal for me that I need to deeply dig into why I'm offended I mean, that's where the work is. and Yeah, the work is so, not for them to do it. The work is for me to do it. And, and it's like, not it's, for white people to carve out spaces for black people. Exactly. That's crazy. So yeah. I think, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I in that space, I don't think I'm an ally unless a black person tells me I'm an ally. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like mm-hmm. white people love to call each other allies, right? We're so fucked up about that. But it is the call for the work right now that is the call for the micro work that if, if, if we are not willing to address, if I am not willing to address my own white supremacy and my own racism and my own bigotry where it shows up because I'm not allowing anything to show up, then it's just more of the same over and over and over and over. And I also feel like there's like a, a tendency for people to not want to actually name the differences. And it's like, what is the danger in noticing that somebody is different than you? There's yeah. no danger in, in the noticing of it. What the danger is, is if we allow there to be a loss of freedom, space, income because of that difference, mm-hmm. or that I'm personally affecting the loss or, or negative space of those mm-hmm. things. But to ignore that we are mm-hmm. look different, mm-hmm. um, have different experiences is like, it just it always irritated me even before the current I feel like more specific conversations we've been having culturally for the last five to ten years but when I was a kid people would say like oh I don't see color and I'm like are you kidding that is totally disregarding the fact that like there is color that there is a difference and the and what most people there are gatekeepers who Mm -hmm. actually feel that the difference means that that person deserves less space or resources so don't tell me that you don't see that because all that means is that like it means that you have not dug deeply enough to be mm-hmm. as enlightened as you're claiming to be. I, you know, I've certainly sat in places of deep bigotry and racism in my life. And um, I think that that white fragility and that white guilt that we hold, I mean, we didn't, uh, you know, we didn't want to drink the Kool-Aid. I'm sure when you ask most of your peers, right. they will say like, no, no, no. But we did. And it is in us, and there is an ingrained reality and and a history that is not that far generationally off. No. In my family, at least. We've been here since the 1600s, and it is not pretty. So I think unpacking that stuff allows me to kind of just not get caught up in call-out culture, the names, the naming of everything, because some things just need to kind of come up to go. It doesn't require a lot of looking. It's just, here it is. Oh, hello, old friend. Okay. And, you know, the more it kind of goes, the less it lives inside of anybody, because it's toxic. It doesn't belong there. Right. I, I don't think there's any denying anything anymore. And I think that that was the call for the, you know, the, 
your theme of radical curiosity because what it's not to be pleasant it isn't pleasant it isn't it's you know there's work and then there's work right so it's not going to feel good to look at spaces in a micro way that we exist live in and benefit from that are really fucked up and oppressive and uh, meant to quiet down other people's voices to right. stay the loudest voice in the room, which is my whiteness, is the loudest voice in any room. And I think that how do I quiet things down means why am I looking for attention in the first place? Yeah. And it is because <laughs> I feel inadequate. It is because I feel guilty. It is because of all of those things that is no one else's job to unpack but mine. Which is a restriction of like that. I, when I start to feel that way, the biggest emotion that always comes up for me is just like, I feel so unfree in that moment. How can I possibly claim to be a free person if all of the stuff is coming up and all of that is restricting me from just being? But you are just being. Just like that other person is just being. Mm-hmm. And I I guess that's the part of me that gets frustrated. Is like, I would like to preserve or I would like to create spaces for future generations where they wouldn't even have to think of that. Mm. They wouldn't have to think about how unfree they feel because of their early conditioning or the things that they are like, why did I have that gut reaction to the situation? Mm-hmm. Is it really because I actually feel that way or is it because <laughs> yeah. of my ingrained... Yeah, like, and that our bondage is cult- self-imposed. Right. right. Like our, our, you know, our want, our staying hostage inside of thinking that is... Um, harmful um it, it's so comfortable it's though. not an immediate reality right even because if it's we, painful it's still very comfortable <laughs> and we experience it by being um available and willing and so that is for me my meditation and prayer always is just the same prayer i said every day for ever and ever and ever is god let me be in service to myself and others so that i can make a difference and that is every single day because it is only in that space that when you talk about not feeling free, it is weighty. It is weighty to carry around um, resentment. It is weighty to carry around fear. It is, all of those things are weighty, but we were born into it. Mm -hmm. And we are also, um, in some ways, um, conditioned to keep that rolling because we'll keep buying stuff to make ourselves feel better because Mm -hmm. God help us if we're ever uncomfortable. Right. No, you're supposed to be uncomfortable. Well, yeah. And and people are, I mean, people look at that whole, it's, it's marketing and capitalism that then preys upon that and just kind of keeps that cycle going. It's like, oh, you feel bad about yourself? Well, I'll tell you what, we have this product. And if you buy it, because all your friends are buying it too, even though you don't know that's true, but we're going to tell you that, this is going to make you feel a whole lot better. Oh, yeah. But oh, but you have to buy this add-on with that too, by the way. Millennials are totally on to that trip. And and so this late stage capitalism that's happening now, um, for me, is like giving up addictions. Like, mm-hmm. and I call them like they are total comfort addictions. Right. So, um, getting things delivered, you know, because yeah. it's like I'm just gonna get shit delivered. Fuck it, and you know what I mean. So it's like mm-hmm. convenience instead of having culture. to go get it instead of having to go get it or, or just, plan for it or right. not have it or yeah. just not have it. Right, just not have it. I have enough, and so I think. Do you that, mean do you in your observation that millennials are on to the fact that they're being manipulated that way? That's yes. what your experience is, yes. and so that it will slowly change. Yes. Yeah. One hundred percent. And I and I don't think it came from having a college degree. I don't think it came from. I think it came from exposure to other ways of thinking of things and looking at things. And I think for me, 
you know, I'm kind of like right in the middle of Gen X, you know, that a computer showed up in my life and I was already 30. Right. You know, and it was enormous and it cost thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, and it was a dial up. And, but there was no wide access of people's experience on a minute by minute. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. And, you know, I have a millennial kid and, you know, she's, got off Facebook a couple years ago. She's like, this is crazy. And then limits her screen time to on her phone. And so where we were able to like kind of text every day, all day long, sometimes she's like, "Mm, I don't have screen time right now. So there's a restricting going on of information. Right. Because where, why is it useful to even be agreeable to an onslaught of information that's male driven, male spoken, and meant to only address the men in the room. And anything that is female is, we're doing an all women showcase at the museum. Aren't we amazing? And it's like, well, you're not really speaking to me. Talk to your brothers about that. Right. You know, but why it's a thing in the first place, I don't understand. But I think it's, I think it's, they are so present I like you know I think of my oldest daughter as just being really present good and her peers you know and kind of laughing at politics because politics is kind of dead and it is an unnecessary evil because I think as soon as government stepped in or corporations stepped into politics mm. it was over and now we're just kind of sweeping with a tiny little broom and dustpan up a 10-ton pile of shit that it's needs kind to of, just fall apart. Yeah, it's kind of really, if I wasn't in the production, I would really be fascinated by watching the show. But right now it's a pretty horrific show because yeah. we're all involved in the production and we're like, wait a second, I didn't realize I was going to have to like be... <laughs> on stage for this I thought it was going to be something that was happening to other people but it's going to be it's happening to all of us um so whenever you do that the Andrew just gave me the wrap-up signal and every time that I'm always just like what was I about to say I can't remember um this is fascinating and I I would love to have more conversations about this but I know that Lisa you're going to have more conversations on your own podcast about this with people as it develops um I, there was one other question I was going to ask, but I have to think of it now. I forgot. Oh, it. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Once again, white men coming in, <laughs> disrupting, mansplaining. Yeah. With your mansers. Let me, let me tell you. Let me tell you about the ladies. Let me tell you. I know let me tell you what you should have done. Right. <laughs> ladies love to laugh. Ladies do love to laugh. It's um, true. Well, he's referencing. I did a show at a library a couple of years ago, and there was a very, very old man who happened to be white sitting in the front who watched my entire women's show, show about women's stories, mm-hmm. and played my songs. And he's, I don't know why he thought it was like a talk back and that he was supposed to give feedback after the show, oh, but he cross talking. He gave me some feedback after the performance and said. He was concerned because the show did not contain enough laughter. And he said, I know women, and I know that they love to laugh. The second that he said, I know women, like something clicked. Yeah, you, you suddenly in, suspected that he didn't. I was like, I feel uh, like it's, this is about to be, the next thing that's about to come out of your mouth is false. That like, poor darling. Right, I know. Yeah. So he's somewhere else yeah. <laughs> now. Oh. I don't know. Anyway, um, 
So it has been a pleasure to talk with you. you guys, Too short. This is amazing. It's a beautiful setup. And Ellen's space, um, just for you audio people out there, is beautiful and lovely and very Ellen. <laughs> so it's comfortable and delightful honey. welcoming full of colors my favorite color green it's lovely your plants are beautiful um i will be seeing you next week to get my hair chopped which is, is good this, is it is it a big chop i, mean, I don't know it's so funny because i know that we're supposed to be wrapping it up but i've been thinking about this lately um i've been growing my hair pretty long since this car wreck that i had just because it seemed easier um but this summer, I don't know. I'm feeling like I'm turning 45, and I'm like, mm. maybe I might. We might do a big old, like something really radical. I've seen you with short hair, and I mean, really, you are beautiful no matter Thank what you. you were wearing on top of your head. Period. <laughs> I just thought maybe it might be. I had yeah, back when I had really really short mm-hmm. hair, I really enjoyed the ease of it. Um, You're pretty glamorous, no matter what. I mean, Thank I know you. you have the je ne sais quoi. I don't care. <laughs> vibe going but um you you don't have to try it's already there <laughs> thank you You're beautiful thanks to mom and dad for the genetic thank material. you andrew <laughs> yeah, for your beautiful hair as well, well. I, I need to get my hair cut this has been uh, a topic we've been discussing off off podcast yes i invite you to come and have a man's experience at yes. the chop shop i i will i i'm very easy to get along with <laughs> you are i i you know i i politely restricted my talking for your podcast yeah. i just kind of watched and yeah. i was taking in information <laughs> yeah. and i'm going to consider it in the future and move accordingly i'm sorry if you feel isolated i don't feel isolated at all i feel included and sometimes the best way to contribute for men is to just shut the fuck up and listen <laughs> i feel like that's true for a lot but yeah no it well is darling true. thank you you're so hospitable it's really beautiful yeah, yeah. so non-threatening I'm... energy it's great <laughs> it's fine so it's fine really it's fine it's literally amazing it's all good, it's all good. It's all good. um so is there a, is there a website for the chop shop there is yeah so it's um www.bemorechopshop.com you can make appointments online there's three of us me Lainey and Lori Jean. Um, the shop and, is beautiful visually too. It's yeah. one of the most beautiful. Like it's a very Renaissance kind of place. <laughs> it's a little kooky, but I love it. There is a cat there, so if you have a cat allergy, you should probably let us know first. But Frida the Diva, follow her on Instagram, Frida the Diva. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're on social media um, on Instagram, and um, there is a Trans Alliance. Um, uh, site that you can get on to find trans uh, GLBTQ friendly salons um, through the Dress Code Project. Oh, cool! And I didn't know that. They're outside. They operate through Canada. Um, and um, yeah, I, I I hope for safe space wherever there's human connection. Always. Thank you for continuing to do that in that neighborhood. Thanks for letting me. I love it. I love you. I love you. I love you. You're amazing. So, um, Andrew, where can you find your music? Oh, my music, you can find You're it. You're still I, making it, right? I'm still making music. Good. Uh, yeah, slowly but surely. It kind of keeps going. Um, Junestar.com, that's J-U-N-E-S-T-A-R.com. And you can also find my subscription at junestar.bandcamp.com. Five bucks a month gets you everything I put out, except for one crappy record back in 1998. 
<laughs> which uh, I, I am the sole possessor of about 500 copies of which it's, I guess I should just get rid of them. I have one of those right, uh, copies. Yeah, you do, right over there. Yeah. I'm gonna, yeah. It's not, any, not anymore. I want to see the cover. It's just terrible. Such an awful record. Um, and uh, yeah, so whatever. Who cares? But what about you, Ellen Cherry? I am available in cyberspace. Remember when the we, end. Remember when we used to say cyberspace? Yeah, the cybernets. Oh, God. Um, at ellencherry.com. I also have a subscription service at ellencherry.bandcamp.com. And um, thank you again to Lisa Hawks, yes. the Chop Shop. Thank you for, for having me. For being here with us and talking really, about really this great. today. Yeah. So much fun. So fun. I loved it. Thank Do you, you. want to say bye? Okay, I'll say goodbye. Bye. See ya. Bye bye. See, you're starting to wave now. That's oh, I good. am starting to wave. <laughs> right on. Good work. <laughs> Until next time, friends. <laughs> P- peace be with you. Oh. 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 A delightful ending. Peace I love be that. With you.